Good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Um, my name is Ira. I'm one of the pastors here, if you don't know. And uh, today we're going to talk about the God who remembers. Um, it's kind of inspired by Memorial Day. That kind of makes sense, right? And, uh, you know, in thinking about Memorial Day, I, I just think about how diminished the influence of a holiday like this has been over the years. And um, a while ago, uh, Cynthia and I, my wife, we went to Scotland on a mission trip. And Scotland's a place that has a, a lot of old memorials. And uh, I wrote, a, I wrote a, a little playlet for, um, to do for evangelism there called Monument. And uh, the whole idea was that uh, fallen soldiers died and there was a, a great monument that was set up. And it, it uh, takes place every 10 years that uh, the skit comes in. And the first year, everybody's passionately mo- memorializing the people that, that selflessly gave their lives. And uh, the next year, people are memorializing. The next year, they're kind of making sure they have the day off because having a day off is good. And, and you know, by the 40 years later, people are, are not even quite sure what that monument is about. And uh, that's sometimes the way uh, a holiday like this could be. And uh, today we're talking about a God who remembers. And uh, Angela and our staff, when she heard that that's what I was talking about, laughed at me because I don't really remember things very well. <laughs> So she kind of laughed that I'm talking about a God who remembers. I'm glad there's a God who remembers, and I don't have to. How about you? Yeah. But uh, I'll I'll never forget the time that uh, we had a a funeral here for someone who who died in in service to his country uh, during the war. It was uh, many years ago now. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a powerful experience of just remembering what he did and why he did it. And I know we had the governor here. We had, um, this place was the fullest it's ever been for a single service. And uh, it was an amazing event because uh, these people that, that have given their lives for the country is, is an important thing. And I think it speaks also of the character and nature of God. So before um, I move on, I, I just thought we should pray for and thank God for those that have given their lives for our country and uh, for their families. Can we show some respect and, and honor for them by, by standing as we pray? And, uh, you know, I think honor was a good setup. Last week's sermon is a good setup for today's sermon. So we're going to honor uh, these men and women that gave their lives. Lord God, we just thank you for people that uh, gave of themselves in, in the greatest degree we ask, God, that you would just uh, minister to their families. And, Lord, we, we do not forget. We remember those that have died. And maybe we don't even know someone specifically that has given their life for their country. But, Lord, we, we know that there are many, many thousands of men and women that have chosen to put themselves in harm's way in the military and I'm going to add in the police and, and, and those that care for us here in the country because there are many of those too. Lord, that, that we want to honor them. And we ask, God, that uh, you would honor them by blessing their families, by ministering to them and leading them close to you. 
And Lord, just, just an added prayer. We're, we're praying also for Jody and Eric today. They're going to uh, our Foursquare convention. Just an opportunity to, to meet with our Foursquare family and, and, to, and to really hear vision and get clarity on what you're calling them to do. And Lord, uh, we agree together as a church family. Can you guys agree with that? That, Lord, you would give them clarity. You would give them uh, an understanding. Uh, and you'd give them wisdom. And Lord, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks. Have a seat. Well, a lot of you have been asking, so I thought I'd use this opportunity to say it all once so you can all hear what's going on in my life because for, I've been gone quite a bit, and uh, I've been gone five weeks out of this year so far, and the first uh, 10 days were a really fun thing that was going to Israel, and I shared about that. But the rest of it uh, really had much to do with my dad and the situation that he's in. He... Uh, has been really sick over an extended period of time. And uh, he has a congestive heart failure. Um, and he also has dementia. Uh, it's not really a strong case of dementia. But um, w- we thought, and my dad really wanted to have um, a double valve replacement surgery. That's an open, open heart surgery. And so he had that um, 16 days ago. And we all went to California to be with him. We knew how serious it was. He was in, in probably the worst health that you could be in and still be considered for this operation. And so, um, you know, we, we prayed for him and uh, we loved him uh, as, he, as he went into that operation. And um, when he came out, uh, his heart was better but not much else. As a matter of fact, a lot of things got worse. His kidneys got worse. His mind, uh, still 14 days later, he's still not back with us. He's still um, uh, delirious. And that could be from many different things. It could be from the anesthesia. It could be because he's 80 years old and, and this thing happens when, when you have such a gigantic operation. There's many reasons that it could happen, but um, it's been very difficult for the last 14 days. To, uh, to move forward with life when, when your dad is, is the sick. And, uh, you know, we, we expected to be out in five to seven days. He was going to be in the ICU for two days. And uh, it turned out he was in the ICU for eight days, came out for a couple days, and now is back in the ICU with pneumonia. His kidneys are not doing well, and... And uh, he needed more blood and a whole bunch of things. And uh, during this time, <clears throat> it's been amazing, especially when we were over there in California. It was amazing to me just the support I felt from people. I felt a lot of love and a lot of concern from many of you. You know, we have our Facebook prayer page. And if you're not a part of that, you might want to be a part of that because it's... Uh, it's a great way to pray for people and support them and care for them. And uh, there were so many prayers that went up from my dad, and so many people said they were praying. And uh, I had friends from here and our, and our dear family, our dear spiritual family, calling and texting, how are things going, what's going on? We had people taking care of things here for me and for our family while we were gone, 
making sure that we could just put our attention on my family. We had our church family and friends that, that were in California that totally cared for us and took us around and did things with us and prayed for us. And not only that, but even after we've gone, they've cared for my family who they only know through us and taken my mom who doesn't drive up to the hospital. It's a 45-minute drive, taking her up to the hospital to, to, care, to care for her and, and to bring her there to see my dad. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing thing when you're being cared for. And I didn't really recognize it, and I was taking it for granted until my mom said something. And uh, she, she was kind of intimating that, that she was not very pleased with the kind of support she was getting. And I, I realized at that moment that, that how supported I felt by our church, by, by our, my sisters and brothers that cared for me and for us. They don't even know my dad, but they care for us. I was so blessed by that. And it was at that time that I decided this is what this sermon is about. It's about a God who remembers it's so precious that, that we can have a church that cares for one another. But I'll say it now and I'll say it later. God is calling us to a higher level of caring for one another. Do you think that might be true? I think so too. So I just want to thank every one of you that have been praying and uh, continue to pray. My dad is still in the ICU. He's still struggling. He's still not awake. He's actually restrained because he's so anxious. And uh, Lord, uh, we, we just pray for his salvation, but, uh, but also just his physical healing in his body. I'd appreciate that. God is a God who remembers. And I, I felt that on this trip. I felt many people remembering me and my family, even if they don't know them. So I want to start with a Bible story now that I've gotten you all feeling just so sorry for me. <laughs> I want to start with a Bible story. It's kind of a, an unusual Bible story. It's one you wouldn't really think of to use in a sermon, and that's why I like to use it. <laughs> uh, and... Um, it's a story of, uh, of Abraham, and you know Abraham in, in uh, Genesis chapter 15 uh, got a promise from God, and that promise had to do with this incredible lineage that was going to be a lineage that would be blessed and would bless the world, literally, and we see that fulfillment in Christ. But before we see that fulfillment in Christ, we see Abraham for 25 years wondering and hoping about what's going on. And finally, finally he was stressed because he, he didn't realize that he didn't know if God was going to come through. He didn't know if God was going to remember. And so Abraham took things into his own hands. And so what I'd like to do is kind of read the scripture. We're going to read the whole story. And then I'm going to go back and I, I want to talk about four points that really kind of are, are, the, are the central focus of this story. It says, Abraham, this is in, uh, in Genesis 16. Ab now Sarai, Abram's wife, was, had borne him no children. So she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. 
So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. I, I just want to stop right there for just a minute. Uh, this is kind of like an added bonus for you right now. And I think it, it's an important thing for me to say too is that uh, wrong thinking about God leads people to plan B's in their life. Sarai thought this was all about God being against her when this is really God's promise for her. But because of that, she took matters into her own hands. And in her wrong thinking, in thinking that God didn't love her, that God wouldn't remember this promise, that it was impossible, that God wasn't big enough to do this or, or loved enough or cared enough to do it, she started a plan B, which of course is never, never the way you want to live. I never want to live a plan B life. How about you? I never do. I want to live God's A plan for my life. And there's a lot of things out there that are speaking to me and saying, no, no, you should do it this way and things are failing here and this is a mess here and it's so easy to want to take things into your own hands. Don't do it because God is a God who remembers and he has his promises for you and you could trust his plan A. Amen? That was just a little extra. We'll keep reading. And so what was the plan? Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I will build a family through her. Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar so that she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near the spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son and you shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man and he will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Interesting story, huh? The first part, the first point in this story is Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt ill-treated? Have you ever felt unloved? Makes you feel beaten down? 
This is what happens. This is what most of us do. We run, right? We run because we feel beaten down and weak. We run because we have trouble finding hope. We run because we do not see anyone else on our side. And so we run. Running is the classic escape, isn't it? This is our, this is our history as a, as a nation in particular. We're a nation of runners, and I'm not talking about exercisers here. We're a nation of runners. That's why we produce things like the iPhone, right? The iPhone is a great way to run. You're on it all the time, and you can stay isolated and focus. The smartphone, not just the iPhone. It's that Galaxy 5S, that terrible Android phone. We run from painful relationships, difficult circumstances, and painful situations. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to run in my dreams because I was afraid a lot. And so I would have a recurring dream of me running away from this demonic creature that used to climb into my window every night when I went to bed. And I'd run away and and I'd, I'd go into my parents' room. Of course, that's a place of safety, right? And then I'd start spinning around, and so I'd be flying. <laughs> this is a dream, right? I'd be flying, but my legs, you know, were, were too long, and he'd be able to grab me eventually and pull me into my bed, and, and I, I'd, I'd be captured by him. And I'd, I'd get away eventually and run into my parents' room and, and, and fly and, and be pulled back in. It was this terrible recurring dream that, that had this short cycle in it that, man, I just felt so trapped in it. And I must have had it, uh, I don't know, once a week I had this dream. I remember the, the one time I did run, a, run away. Anybody run away when they were kids? We won't celebrate that. But <laughs> when, when I ran away when I was a kid, I, I, I kind of did it the right way. This is the way you should do it if you really want to run away because it's so comfortable. Kids, there's no kids in here, right? But uh, uh, I, I ran away. I was mad, and I ran out of the car, and I ran away. And then I thought to myself, it's not very comfortable out here. It's kind of cold. And so I broke into my basement. It was very easy to break into, and I broke into my basement. And so the basement door was, was locked on the outside, so nobody ever checked it, right? But I was comfortable in my basement. I was playing and doing fun things where most of my... My good stuff is and my art supplies and all kinds of stuff that I had down there. I'd be hanging out there, and I was having a lot of fun thinking my parents are looking for me, and I'm hiding in the basement. And then I was having so much fun until I saw blue pants with shiny black shoes saying, I wonder where he is coming by. And it was like two policemen looking for me in the backyard, and I thought, I better get out of here. (laughs) So I came out. (laughs) They couldn't believe I was in the basement. But running is is what we like to do. You know, can you imagine how Hagar felt? Hagar was brought into the family in a sense. Now, it wasn't in a way that was right, right? It was a plan B way. But Hagar was brought into the family And now she was being abused by the family. She was being abused by the ones who she thought she could be the safest with.
She felt forgotten, wounded, even shamed. I mean, could you imagine? Here she was. She, she, she gave, just look at it from her perspective, not from our perspective. She, she allowed herself to trust in this relationship and opened herself up to this relationship, no matter how wrong it might be in, in, in God's eyes. And now she was being chased out and abused, being ill-treated and rejected, thinking that God does not care. I think there's a lot of people in this world like this. A lot of people that even by the ones that they thought loved them the most are feeling rejected and shamed. But then we get to the next point. It's a wonderful point. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Now, this is not somebody insignificant. This is the Lord. This is the Lord, as we'll see throughout the rest of the scripture, as you've seen as we read it. She was talking to the Lord. God himself took on the task of finding this woman. And that's God's heart for each one of us. He did not send a minion like in Despicable Me. He sent his very self to find her. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is our God who loves us with this kind of love. He himself went and found Hagar. This woman who's not even a primary part of the promise of God or the family of God, God thought it more important and important enough to go and to find her. The second part of, of this phrase was first is the angel of the Lord. That's who went. The second is that, that God found. God found. This is an interesting word because God doesn't lose anything, does he? He doesn't. He, he knew exactly where Hagar was. So what, this, what is this a metaphorical reference to is the relationship that God wants to have with each one of us. And in particular, with Hagar, who had to run because of the way she felt. Rejected and ashamed. God knew exactly where she was. But God has a great desire to be with us. Right? A great desire to be with us. And so God finds us. He's not just God who loves. He's God who finds us. Amen. 
1 John 4.10 says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. This is as proactive as you can get. Is God for you and God for me and God for the one that feels rejected and isolated and alone? And then the last part of this phrase is the angel of the Lord found Hagar. Hagar. This was personal. This was personal. This was not just about anyone. God finds people. God finds people. God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, found Hagar. And he finds us by name. By name. I think of, I think of how he, he cried out to Saul. Here's the persecutor of the church. And he goes, Saul, Saul. He didn't just say, anybody who's persecuting me. He went right to Saul. And he said, Saul, why are you doing this? And it's personal. It's personal for God. He's not just this God with this great concept that that I'm going to be a nice guy and I'm going to love people and I'm going to save people. No. That's not good enough for our God. He is a God who says, Ira and Hagar and seeks us out by name. Seeks us out by name. I just remember just the, the rebellion that I went in in, in in my youth as a Christian. You know, I just, I've, I've spoken about it several times and I speak about it in detail in base camp, but, you know, I just, I just was very mixed up sexually. A lot of problems, a lot of issues in my life and I didn't know what to do with it. And so like Hagar, I ran. And about four years after, I ran I realized that I needed to come back. And I remember just sitting on the edge of my bed, sitting on the edge of my bed after four years of insanity, doing the craziest things that were unimaginable four years earlier in my mind. And as I, as I just said to God, I'm coming back to you. And I saw out of my peripheral vision, you know, your peripheral vision, and my peripheral vision, right now I could see my hand right here. And that's exactly where I saw the hand of God just grab me. It was like he was there. He was there the whole time. He was there with Ira the whole time. And that hand was just waiting for that very moment to grab hold of me when my heart would just give in and say, yes, God. Yes, God. And that is exactly what he wants to do for us. He is just as personally concerned with each one of us. The next part of this is, where have you come from and where are you going? Again, God 
knows the answer to everything, right? So he's not really asking questions here. When God asks questions, it's always good to you ask a question. Like, why is God asking this question? Because he knows the answer, right? So why is he asking these things? He's asking these things to set up for Hagar two of the most important things she needs to know in the state in which she's in. Feeling rejected, feeling ashamed. She needs to know two things. First, she needs to know about her identity in God. Where have you come from is your identity. It's who you are. It speaks of the type of important relationship and the importance that God places on relationship. God is very concerned about where you've come from. How many of you like reading those genealogies in the Bible? I was wondering if anybody raised their hand. <laughs> nobody raised their hand. That was pretty good. Nobody, right? Nobody raised their hand. Those genealogies are there for a reason, you guys. You know why they're there? You are important to God. It's personal with God. And God, for all eternity, wrote these things down, the names of those that were in his life, in a sense. You ever see it like that? I never did. This is God who takes it personal. And he speaks of our identities. I call it the the Ben genealogies because the word Ben is always there in Hebrew. It means son of. You know, they're throughout the Old Testament. Isaac, son of Abraham. For our family, it's Joshua, my son, son of Ira, son of Barry, my father, son of Clarence, his father. You are an important part of God's genealogy. He is very interested in you. And that's why he's asking Hagar, where have you come from? And now he asks, where are you going? What is that related to? Where are you going is related to God saying, I think you're important and I have a promise for you. Not only are you an important person in my life, but you and I have some great things to do together for eternity. That is God's promise. You are not insignificant in God's eyes. You are eternally significant in God's eyes. It says in 2 Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these things, he has given us his great and precious promises so that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is our God. He thinks we are important and he has great dreams for each one of us. But when you're in Hagar's state, it's very easy to forget these things and that's why God is reminding her. He is reminding her that she is important to him 
and that she has a future and a promise. And he gives her that promise in her lineage as well, a very significant promise. And then the last part of this story that I think is of of the most important significance to look at is, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. Can you see that throughout this entire story? Here's Hagar running, ashamed, rejected. But here is God chasing her and identifying her personally, saying, I love you and I have plans for you. I remember you. You are not forgotten in my mind's eye. The God who sees me, you remember me. Can you imagine the comfort that it must have felt for her to know that God sees her? God sees her. And he sees each one of us. He's not just looking at a whole blob of non-discriminate people. He sees Brian and Ivan, Jeff. He sees us by name. He sees us. God desires to be in the most significant relationship with each one of us. And he has in his mind's eye these amazing things for us to do with him forever. You see me. I am not forgotten. I am not forsaken. No matter what has come my way, I am not forsaken or forgotten by God. I just want to talk for just a sec about how he remembers like this. How does he remember like this? It's in his very nature. Omniscience. God knows all things all the time. That's good and bad. <laughs> no, that's very good. There's nothing that he does not know. That's a double negative. That means he knows everything, right? And nothing surprises him. That encourages me because I have been surprised by myself. How about you? It's not pretty. I've been surprised by myself, but he is not surprised. He is not surprised by that stupid point of doubt that I had in my head or that sinful thought I had towards a person. He's not surprised. He knows everything about me. And he never forgets. He will never forget you or the promises he's made to each one of us. And I'm just going to read this one scripture in Romans, the one in, in red. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments 
and his paths beyond tracing out. This is God himself, the omniscient God who knows everything. You are never lost in God's eyes. You could run all you want, but God is right there, and he's right in your peripheral vision, and he is just waiting. He is just waiting for your heart to turn just a touch, and he will grab you, and he will love you, and he will comfort you. He knows all things. Remembering is important to God. Should it be important to us? Do you think? What do you think? I think so. In the Old Testament, remember God's law, and uh, we were, were constantly told to do that. He, he, he spoke in the Old Testament about making sure that every generation gets it. Talk about when you're lying down, when you're rising up, when you're walking on the road. We are to remember. We're to remember the great things God did. And we had these great annual festivals that God established to remember the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, and that we are important to God. And then there were great times where, where, where um, there were sacrifices altered, uh, uh, offered at the altar for worship to God, to remember God himself. We need to remember in the Old Testament there were these great feasts that would just remind us of God's faithfulness, right? And then in the New Testament, what did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. Remembering is important to God. In Acts chapter 6, we see this... this... um, real addendum to what's going on. Here, the church is like growing like crazy. God is moving all over the place. But in in chapter 6, something happens. Uh, There is a need that starts getting expressed. The widows weren't being cared for. And, And so the church recognizes that there needs to be a higher level of care. A higher level of care than what's already been given. People are being saved. People are being healed. And yet the church and the leaders of the church and God speaks to the church and says, no, that's not enough. And so they set up deacons that would care for people within the church. It's a mandate from the church, for the church, not just 2,000 years ago, but for us today, that we would care. The Bible says that they will know us by our love, by our love. When I was in California, God said, Raise the level of care because I care. Raise the level of love because I love each person as an individual. I care about. I care about. 
We need to care because God does. You know, one of the other issues that happens is that that people that are struggling a lot of times, what they do is they kind of back out and they back out of that relationship within the church. I just want to encourage you, don't, if you see someone do that, go after them like the Lord did to Hagar, okay? Because when people are wounded, when they're hurting, when they're feeling rejected, when they're in pain because of something that goes on in their lives, many people mistakenly do the exact wrong thing just like Hagar and they run. But we can be like the Lord because we are his hands and feet. Right? Right? And we can go after them. It says the body of Christ builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part does its work. Each one of us need to be responsible. We are our brother's keeper, isn't that right? Is that right? We need to care for one another. You know, there's a, a great example. I, I warned Marge I was going to talk about her. She hates to be talked about. Marge leads our behind-the-scenes team cleaning ministry, and you can tell she doesn't like being talked about because she started a ministry and named it Behind the Scenes. <laughs> and uh, she is good at putting a team together to clean, don't you think? She does an amazing job, and we have a great team that cleans. Thank you if you're here and you're part of that. But one of the things that Marge does even better is to remember She remembers people. I'm not talking about remembering their name. I'm talking about looking out for them and wondering how they're doing and checking up on them. Maybe you're one of the people that's been checked up on by Marge. I know I have been. And it's a a wonderful feeling to know that someone is asking about you and caring for you and Just recently, in the last, I don't know, two months, she's brought to my attention at least three people that may have not come to my attention that desperately needed more than just prayer because of her care and her concern, because of her remembering. I know we have the communion elements out, but... I just want to talk about a response for us first, and then we're going to remember the Lord by taking communion together too. Thank you. We are not forsaken by God. We are not forsaken by God. Today, you might have felt so far from God before you came. But God himself is speaking your name. The angel of the Lord found, fill in your name. He is seeking you out. And while your eyes are closed right now, I just want to give an opportunity for people to to just raise their hand and say, I I am here, God. I am found by you. Maybe maybe you've been far from God and you felt far from God and and you you, you need to respond to him right now, finding you once again. Maybe that's you. 
Or maybe you've never met God and you need to meet him today. I want to give you that opportunity to meet him because he is here to find you. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for that very purpose. He was sent for that purpose. So if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand while eyes are closed. Yeah, good. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. You're just saying yes. Good, good. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just come before you for those that are raising their hands. And Lord, we ask God that you would speak to them. Speak to them your love. Speak to them those two powerful questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? You are important to me and my plans for you are to bless you and not to curse you. That is God's love for you today. rest of us, I just want to encourage you today. We need to up the ante with care because we are the family of God. We are God's family. And because of that, we love the way God loves. So I just want to encourage you today. There is a sheet in your bulletin. If you don't have it, you can get it. But it's a response sheet. The first part of it is, there's two areas in our church that are our primary areas of remembering, of caring for people. The first is community groups. If you're not in a community group, then it's very hard for you to be cared for, and it's very hard for you to care. So I want to encourage you to say, yes, I want to find out more about community groups on this little insert in your bulletin. If you're not in a group yet, these are God's plan. This is God's way of doing it. It's not our way. This is the way the Bible set it up in the book of Acts, that we would meet together on Sundays and we would meet together house to house, caring for one another, knowing one another. It's essential this is God finding each one of us is community groups. And the second area of care in our church is that area of care. And in that area, there are several things that we do. We, we, we help with moving. There's a team that, that supports those that are moving. We, we need help right now with that. Maybe that's something you might be interested in. It doesn't happen that often. I'd say once every two to three months, someone doesn't have their own resources to be able to do this, and so they ask for help, and, and so we'd like to supply that help if we can. Also meals, emergency meals for, for babies being born or for when there's a death or an emergency. And then funerals and, and then visitation, visiting people that are alone. And we have a lot of people in our church that don't go to our church physically because they can't. And they need to know that they are found by God, that their name is in our minds and in God's mind, don't you think? So I want to encourage you, if you know someone who has a need or you have a need or you want to help, in any of these areas, I want to encourage you to check that box 
okay? And um, I didn't put anything out there, but Kelly, maybe you can put a basket out there so that people can put those in the basket. I'd appreciate that. Guys, we are an amazing church that God has placed here at the adventure. But God is speaking to us to raise our level of caring for one another. And that costs a little from everybody. But if all of us just gave just a little bit in prayer, in time, in care, in community, something marvelous will occur. I guarantee it. The same marvelous thing that happened to Hagar will happen to many, many people in our congregation. I know I gave you a lot to especially respond to at the end. But I, I want to I seriously encourage you, don't leave without filling out that form on what the Lord's asking you to do, okay? And maybe, maybe it's not there. Maybe, maybe you need to write in what you need to do. That's okay, too. Respond to the Lord, because this is a, a serious call for us as a church, that we would care. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.